Well, good morning, church. How is everybody this lovely fall day? I'm very happy to be here with you today. I'm going to start out by telling you I am going to talk a little bit, a lot actually, about mental health issues. I've had a few of my own. Um, <laughs> yes, my family, they'll tell you I'm still having them. Uh, I think most of us know someone that has struggled with that. And I did not purposely bring a slide that has statistics because this country is depressed enough and if you look at that, I'm telling you, your whole attitude is just going to go into the pits. And that's not what we want to have happen. So let's pray. Father, we're going to open your word and it is your word, Father. We just ask that you and you alone would speak, that hearts would be receptive and that we might change our attitudes and maybe the way that we look at those that struggle in this life. And we'll just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I wore my Pennsylvania Psychiatric Institute t-shirt. <laughs> I was not committed. I just want to get that out there. <laughs> I worked there. And I'll tell you throughout this some of the things I've seen. But let's go to the Word of God, and it's in 1 Kings 19, and I'm going to start at verse 2. Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went down, or he went on alone on, into the wilderness, traveling by day. He sat down under a solitary bloom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. I'm not really starting with an encouraging piece of scripture. I don't know how you would feel if you got that message from, say, your boss. Because um, technically, that's, you know, God is his boss. And it's not like Elijah was a weak person. He wasn't. If you just read back a couple, behind these, chapter 19, if you read some of the early ones, awesome things for God. But if you really look at this, <laughs> This man is depressed. And depression is one of the number one illnesses that we have in our society today. If you don't believe me, randomly call us a, a counselor and see when you can get in. They are so booked because people are struggling. And we can blame it on COVID. But COVID's over. And we can blame it on a lot of things, and we do. Elijah's just going, I'm done here. And I don't believe there's a person alive that hasn't once in a while felt like, I am done here. Not necessarily that you want to die. And that's what Elijah wanted to do. Take my life. Do you find it interesting he wouldn't take his own? So he was... Definitely down in the dumps, but not so far down 
that he felt like he needed to take his own life. Sadly, that is not always the case in our world today. Let's read on. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of our God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. How did God treat this depressed man? And I want to look at that because it matters. It matters. If we are living examples on, of Christ on this earth, then we need to look at how God treats people because that's how we're to treat them. And he did not say to Elijah, pull up your big girl pants and move on. Get a grip. Keep going. He didn't say any of that to him. The first thing he did was minister to his needs. I can tell you right now, a depressed person doesn't often eat like they should. And our body actually requires nourishment. I mean, some of us take that to an extreme. But a depressed person, their habits will change. They're going to want to sleep all the time. When I was in... Uh, getting ready to go into 11th grade in high school, I, uh, I just stopped eating and I slept all the time. And 11th grade started and I'd go to school, I'd do whatever. Well, I never did homework. I'm not even going to tell you that. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, I would, you know, go to bed. I'd fall asleep. My mother would wake me up. I'd eat dinner and I'd lay back down and go back to sleep and sleep the whole night. And then I lost a lot of weight because I wasn't really eating. And so my mom finally drugged me to the doctor. And I had every test that a doctor could give you without putting you in the hospital. And he decided I was depressed. Now, I didn't feel depressed. I was enjoying 11th grade. I didn't feel like I was acting depressed. I didn't think much about the sleeping. When you're tired, you sleep. So he prescribed a mild... Um, drug antidepressant for me and he you know he said just take one a day and only take them for a month and that's what I did and like a week and a half into it I'm starting to feel better I, I just am and things became a little more like they were before and so by the end of that month I, I just quit taking them and I didn't feel like I ever needed them again and we were pretty good with that <laughs> and then I met my boyfriend's husband, or brother, or my boyfriend's father, and I puked on his shoes. Um, <laughs> that's a true story. And boy, is that embarrassing when you're 16. Um, <laughs> and I realized, maybe I did need something else. So I went to my youth pastor at the time, who drove an MG, so I really liked him. And <laughs> 
you know, all those reasons you go to youth ministry, come on. <laughs> and we started talking about this. And he started praying with me and for me. And I began to feel better. Okay, so fast forward about a year. Yeah, not a year. I, I, that boyfriend didn't work out. I can't imagine why. <laughs> it's like... And I have another boyfriend. I'm supposed to meet his family, so I called the doctor because I knew this wouldn't be good, right? I didn't want to puke on somebody else. That's really the bottom line. And he gave me another month's worth of pills. And honestly, the day before I left to go to, or the day that I left to go meet this family, I popped three of them. And I know, I, I wish I could see your faces, but I think I can. Um, <laughs> I don't remember meeting anybody, but I was very pleasant. Everybody said that. <laughs> One cousin who had this unbelievable hair and a t-shirt with a phalanx symbol on him, I remembered. Uh, I was not a Christian then, even though I was going to youth group, and I want to get that clear to you. I went to youth group and I went to church, but I wasn't really, I didn't really have a relationship with Christ. A, my mother made me most of the time, and like I said, the youth worker had an MG, and he would take me home sometimes. So anyway, there are a lot of reasons why kids go to church. <laughs> They're not all excited about Jesus. One of the things the doctor said is you must eat and drink. You must, because your body needs that. Isn't it interesting God knew that? The angel came and said, eat and drink, get up, eat and drink. And that's what he did. And he did it the second time. So now he's in a little bit better frame of mind. What it doesn't tell us is how long he slept. It looks as though it was just through the night. But we don't know that for sure. Because when you are suffering from depression, you often sleep more than just eight hours. Um, getting out of bed is hard. So facing the world is hard. And this is where Elijah is. And Elijah's facing a whole lot more than having a lousy boss, a bad teacher. He's facing this woman who wants to kill him. I would imagine that would be hard. But look how God loved him. Look how God loved him. He didn't chastise him for feeling like he was feeling. Those feelings were real. He didn't say, oh, it'll be a better day, just get over yourself. He didn't say any of that. He loved him. But he told him, you still have a mission. You still have a purpose. There's a reason you're here. And oftentimes, people who struggle with some mental health issues don't feel like they have a reason to be here. I had a very dear friend in high school, and... Just a few years ago, we buried her sister, younger sister, who had a lifelong battle with depression. And when she felt good, she would go to church and be useful there. And when she didn't, she didn't. And she basically just wandered into the woods, laid down, and died. The heartbreak of that the heartbreak that the family went through. My friend, her sister, supported her in every way she could, even paying her rent sometimes, because she wouldn't always work. The pastor who did her service 
said something that's just never left me. People with mental health issues go in and out of darkness. Do you remember when you lived in darkness and didn't know the Lord? Do we? Maybe we weren't even aware it was darkness. Her darkness was much darker. He said, but when she would step into that light, God was there. And he was there with her in the darkness. She just couldn't realize it. I think most of us have come into contact with people who struggle. And maybe sometimes it's us. I will tell you, I haven't taken medication for depression since. <laughs> so, you know, but I found out who Jesus was. And that made all the difference for me. And I not only found out, but I believed it. I didn't just know it here, I believed it. I believe he is who he says he is, and I can trust him with every aspect of my life. A person suffering from mental illness doesn't get that completely. You know, um, they may have a relationship, but handing over sovereignty, handing over the sovereignty of my life into the hands of a sovereign God was not an easy thing. I like being independent. I've been independent most of my life. And now I'm not. It might look like I am, and people often say you have a lot of confidence. The only confidence I have anymore is God. And that's where Elijah's was, in God. He had trusted this God to do so many things with his life. But what if you haven't? What if you've never trusted God? Where do you find help? Now, most people, well, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of people will seek out a counselor. My concern in our world today, many of those counselors are not believers, and they are not giving godly advice. If you have a child or a grandchild or know of someone, the first step to helping them is prayer. And I mean seriously, lift them before the Lord daily. The second step is to encourage them. Make them understand how valuable they are. The king of this universe died for them. Do they know it? Have you ever told them that he would have died if it had only been them? The creator, the, the, the God who spoke it into being, loves you just the way you are. And then, when you have that relationship, transformation begins. And it's a slow process. It can be a long, slow process. But with encouragement and prayer, people can be helped. I did a lot of research on this kind of stuff. <laughs> More than I wanted to, I think. But I kind of get carried away with research, so that's my problem. I watched this movie called The Pope's Exorcist. Is Russell Crowe. Come on, you can't go wrong with Russell Crowe, unless you count that thing he did about Noah that was really bad. Um, <laughs> this guy actually exists and has written books. This guy that he has only takes orders only from the Pope. So I got to thinking about it after I watched this, I thought, demon possession. 
Yeah, I'm not in favor of it. Um, I don't know. I don't know much about it other than Jesus, when he sent his disciples out, told them they would be able to cast out demons. Now, in our lovely society today, we don't believe in demons, but if we believe in Jesus Christ, we almost have to because it's, he mentions them a lot. And the scripture mentions them about a hundred times. That doesn't mean that everybody who's mentally ill is demon-possessed. Don't even go there. <laughs> and I think people do sometimes. So I started researching, and what I discovered in my research, and if you're really interested, you can look it up, one of the things that separates mental illness, and I'm talking severe schizophrenia to depression to severe, severe depression, one of the things that separates it, medication will not work at all. So I know this young woman who has been on meds ever since she's been born, practically, not really, since she's been about 10, and they reevaluate her because she's grown and now she's an adult. And so they reevaluate her. The meds are working. She's not acting out like she did as a child. She's finished college. She has a job. The medications are working, but she has to keep taking them. And now she's not schizophrenic. Her grandmother was. So there's always that. They believe it might be inherited. There's no real proof, but they think so. Anyway, um, another thing is a demon-possessed person <laughs> does not want to hear the name of God, period. So if you have a friend that acts out terribly and you say, can I pray for them, and they let you, they are not demon-possessed. So, but there are, I believe, issues with people who are. I used to work for Tressler Lutheran Services, which is court adjudicated teenagers. It was at the time. And they bring this young man in one day. And all, that's not unusual. They would bring him in in front of my office and say, keep an eye on him. All right. You know, um, I'm the secretary there. Why should I be? But anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden, this kid picks up the metal coat rack and aims it at my window, my glass window that I'm watching him through, and just nails it at it. I mean, he threw it hard. Fortunately, it was, it was uh, some side of high plastic. It didn't break. So I got up and closed my door because <laughs> I thought that's the next move, right? <laughs> and I didn't even bother to call the guys. And I just instantly fell on my knees and raised my hands and started praying for this kid. And this kid said, don't you do that. Don't you do that. Don't you talk about him. And by then, there are five guys on top of him pulling him down and pulling him away. And he left there and went to a mental institution. After this research, I think maybe, just maybe, Sean was demon-possessed. He didn't want to hear me praying for him. And I was praying loud, because I was a little scared myself. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not used to having people throw coat racks at me. Um, <laughs> And up until that point, I did not know it was in class. <laughs> so, you know. But God is just, he protects us. And yet, at the same time, we'll open our eyes. He'll open our eyes to what's around us. Why does he do that? So that we learn how to treat people who aren't like us. You know? And believe me, it's acting out. I'll call it that is becoming worse and worse. 
my granddaughter teaches first grade in a school in Virginia. And last week, a student, a first grade student, threw a book at her head. Now she missed, but this kid was mad at her for telling her what to do. You can't tell me what to do. First grade. And if you read the news, they had a six-year-old, which I assume is also first or second grade, shoot a teacher. We have some serious mental health issues in this country. And we really, as Christ followers, need to be in prayer and ask for wisdom. How can we help? What can we do? Looking through scripture, I came to understand that God knew this was going to happen. Um, if you'll turn with me to Romans 12, 2. So I'm waiting for the screen to catch up. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's perfect will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He knew we were going to need a little bit of help mentally and emotionally. Because deciding to walk with Christ means your life changes. And some people might think you're a little bit mentally ill. I know, I probably shouldn't tell this. My own mother said to me, you know, you're becoming an awful fanatic. Okay, why? Well, you're in church all the time. And you're always reading your Bible. Don't you ever read anything else? Well, yeah. But not as much as I used to, and I love to read, and I'll still read off-the-wall things. Um, but that's my own mother, who I struggled with most of my life, because we came head-to-head -head more often than we should have. And when, once I became a Christian, I, I was already out of the house, I realized, man, it is a wonder my mother didn't have me committed or kill me. You know, whichever came first. Um, I'm grateful to God that I had the mother I had. I mean, she really tried. I was very, very rebellious. And when I found that scripture that says rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, and I'd already dabbled in a little of that, I was like, oh, you know, can God forgive that? Yeah, sure he can. What you do as a kid... Let me just encourage you that whatever your kids are doing, it's not the end of the world. As long as you're praying for them and claiming them and witnessing to them, God will bring them back. He promises that. You might have to put up with blue hair or drugs, God forbid, anything like that. But the question is, do we understand how faithful our God is and can we be faithful in return to him? Being transformed. It's a process. Personally, did I ask for backup music? 
Okay, that was actually kind of weird. <laughs> so, thank, thank the Lord I wasn't talking about demons when that happened. <laughs> God's good, isn't he? I mean, he definitely has a sense of humor. He created us. So, but um, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. It is the behavior and the customs of this world to say you have a problem and you will never get over it. Where Christ followers believe you can have victory in every area of your life through the power of the Holy Spirit and your relationship with the living God. We believe that. Do we practice it? Do we look at people and go, <laughs> oops, don't want green hair. Uh, <laughs> well, I worked at the Psychiatric Institute as the receptionist. So I'm going to tell you that I saw some unusual things. Um, but I think the winner was Superman. It must have been 95 degrees outside. And this older gentleman came in and up to the front desk. And I say older because I'm old enough, but he was older than me. He had on a complete Superman outfit, muscles and all the cape, the whole bit, in 90-some degrees. And he walked in and started talking to me. Now, there's a security guard beside me. And he starts talking to him, because apparently he knew him. I'd only been there a couple months. I didn't realize Superman lived in Harrisburg. Um, <laughs> but apparently he does. Anyway, that's what he said. He said he came in here to get cool. He said he was a patient here, but there really he just refused the help and he prefers to be Superman, and he's not hurting anyone. And I thought, I didn't ask, but is he running to help? I mean, it's Superman after all, but no. We just talked a little bit about it, and then Superman left. And I just looked at the security guard and said, are there any other superheroes I should be expecting? And he says, no, there's a guy that, well, anyway. There are other people. Many of the people who came through that door look just like you and I. In fact, almost all the people that came through that door look just like you and I. Various races. Thank God I could count to 10 in Spanish because often I couldn't, you know, they, they just wanted to go to a room and they needed the number. It was, uh, it was sad for me to see so many people that, first of all, didn't seem to know anything about Christ. And every now and then I would get in conversation and that would be a question I would ask. You know, this was not a bad place. They actually let your pastors visit. A lot of places, a lot of institutions don't. So, there ought to be an answer. When Gilbert said, what prayer would you want answered? I had an awful time because I personally think if the whole world knew Christ, all the prayers would be answered. <laughs> but we know that's never going to happen. And I started thinking about the people in my life who don't know how to handle life because they don't know Jesus. We do, and we say that we are willing to be transformed. Part of that transformation ought to be compassion for other people. 
I lived through Vietnam. It was in my living room. That's how old I am. And a friend came home, not my friend, but a friend of a friend, came home. Um, a mess. And they put him into the VA hospital. And I went to see him. My first experience on a psych ward. And they hand you a badge and say, whatever you do, don't lose this. Because we can't let you back out without it. Okay, don't scare me right off. I'm walking into a room, and it's not a room. It's several rooms. Somebody wants you bad. Oh, don't worry. There are worse things in life, trust me. <laughs> so, but um, we went to see him, and that war had just... And they treated him, and they gave him medications, and he killed himself. They found his body. He went to the woods and did it. They found his body on Thanksgiving Day and interrupted the family Thanksgiving dinner to tell them that their son had died. It can really be bad. Now, I didn't know Christ then, or I'd have talked to him. Because you can fast forward a few years, and I have a friend, a lady friend, who ended up in the psych unit, and I went to see her. And I am sitting in a small room with 12 people that are smoking, and I don't smoke. And that's where she wanted to talk. So that's what we did. And I talked to her about Christ. I even gave her a Bible. So she ends up having electroshock therapy and gets home. Yeah, I know, it was serious. And gets home, and she's moving, and she finds this Bible. <laughs> she didn't know she had it. Um, and she calls me. Did you give me a Bible when I was really sick? Yes, I did. Well, you know I'm not going to read it. I said, I don't know that. I know you like to read. You might. We've been friends for over 20 years, and we have walked through Buddhism, Catholicism, Judaism, and she actually came to my church for quite a few months. She's been diagnosed with a disease that's eventually going to kill her. It's about that long, very rare, autoimmune. <laughs> she told me one day, you know, I get up every morning and sing the doxology. Not a Christ follower. Why do you do that? I don't know. I just feel better. I think you ought to read your Bible. She has started to. So I am just dying for the day when she says, I've accepted Christ. You just don't know. You just don't know. But I didn't say, oh, you're a little too nuts for me. I'm not hanging out with you. You know? This is who she was. She was studying for her master's level and asked me to come over and help her study the GREs. So I went, you know, and uh, she has all these little flags in front of her. And she said, you have, this is the problem and you have to arrange them. And then so she goes on to the next problem and we're talking about that. But the whole time I'm looking at the flags and I put them in order for her. And this is what she said. You're not as dumb as I thought you were. And I said, I don't believe you mean it the way you said it. Oh, no, 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 she. <laughs> so now if I want to harass her, I tell her I'm her token dumb friend. But she's reaching toward Christ. She's reaching toward him. And that's what I want her to do. If you go to Philippians 4, 8 and 9, 
Philippians, that little book's hard to find. Eight and nine. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. I know of a church that challenged their congregation over Lent to give up negative thoughts for the Lenten seeds. And they were told that when you have a negative thought, sing Jesus loves me, read some scripture, get rid of it. Now, we don't really realize that we have that kind of control, but we do. And God tells us what we need to focus on. Now, if you don't know God, you don't care. It's really that simple. But if you're introducing people to Jesus, and even if you're not, if you've got a friend that's very negative, and most of us do, we have that one friend that 10 minutes is good because they're just in the toilet all the time, read this to them. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Do we do that? To do this, we'd have to turn off the news and probably only watch it intermittently. But we could do it. Couldn't we? I mean, we have to do it before we can advise anyone else. We have to be able to say, yes, this works. I know because I did it. Before we can say to anyone else, this is what you've got to do. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. What have you learned and received from Jesus? What have I learned and received from Jesus? I learned to hang on to my badge when I go into a psych unit. No. I learned compassion for people who struggle with keeping their lives in order. It's God's compassion. It's not mine. It's his. He's the one that makes the difference. I know there's a lot of mental illness I have not addressed. And I've only given you one little snippet, well, two, of people who are demonically possessed. They don't want to hear about Jesus and mugs, the drugs don't work. What can we do? Pray. Love on them. God can change them. But it's only going to be God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I hope that it was delivered well, that people understand that it's your compassion and not our own, and that we need to love people the way you love them, which is completely no matter who they are. We ask that you might transform us in that direction. In Jesus' name, amen.